Okay, folks. So, um, happy 4th of July weekend, right? Independence Day, 4th of July tomorrow. And um, last night, I don't know about you, but we uh, we weren't at a, a uh, fireworks display, but we heard one pretty clearly. Not seemed to be not too far away. So, uh, uh, Independence Day, the where we celebrate the birth of this nation. And we do it with fireworks very often, right? That are reminiscent of those bombs bursting in air in the national anthem. And uh, um, when we celebrate the birth of our nation, we do it by looking to the sky and seeing a display. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to look at a, uh, uh, um, an inauguration of a different kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God. And there is a temptation to look to the sky to commemorate that celebration, and there's some appropriateness to that. However, as we look to the sky, as we think of the coming kingdom of God, we need to be very careful that we don't neglect the earth in the process. So I'm going to talk about that in just a moment as we launch in to our passage of scripture this morning. I'm going to read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. And this talks about the coming kingdom of God, about Jesus coming back. So let me read to you, make some observations. 1 Thessalonians 4 starting in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope for. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive were left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are, who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So will we be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So anytime I read these, read uh, these words or hear this passage read or hear anybody talk about this passage, I am transported back to my early days as a Bible college student to a, uh, uh, a lot of discussion around this passage in particular and others around what we call the end times. And the discussion in my early days in Bible college and in formal seminary training and before that, to some extent in the church that I grew up, grew up when there was uh, any discussion about the end times, there was a particular scheme that was being talked about in reference to this passage and others. And uh, it, it carries a title of dispensational theology. And it goes like this. 
the uh, idea is that at, in the end times, Jesus will come down partway from heaven and cause the rapture to happen. That is, he'll catch up all the believers in at, at that moment in time to, to be with him in heaven, and then he'll swoop them back up into heaven. And after that, there'll be a period of seven years called the Great Tribulation, where terrible, terrible things will happen here on earth. And so the rapture was to save God's people from those terrible, terrible things. And then he would come down again after those seven years and set up the millennial kingdom. For a thousand years, Jesus would come and he would reign on earth and cause his will to be done. But at the end of that thousand years, there'd be a rebellion and Satan and unbelievers would rebel against God's kingdom and against Jesus. And there would be a battle, the battle of Armageddon Jesus would win. And then he'd set up his kingdom forever. And heaven and earth would be joined. Well, this particular scheme may be familiar to you. And you may believe it. And that's, that's fine. I no longer believe that particular scheme. Because that scheme is not the one, uh, that description of these passages and others. is not the one that the, the majority of the church for, for uh, the first 1900 years or so of its existence uh, believed. And um, I'm not going to go into all the different passages that talk about that particular scheme. All I'm going to say is that uh, what anybody who believes in the truth of Scripture, whatever they believe about the end times, believes that God is going to come back someday and fix it all. Everybody believes that and so I want to focus on that particular portion and not talk about the rapture or whether it's that scheme that I just laid out is true or not I want to look at this this passage and focus on what it means that God is going to come back Jesus is coming back someday to set everything right Let's take a look at some of the elements of this passage and see what it looks like when Jesus returns. First of all, in verses 13 and 18, let's focus on why the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, included these words in his letter to the Thessalonian church. Why did he do it? He did it to encourage believers, right? So in verse 13, says, don't grieve like others that have no hope concerning believers who've died. So it's, it's somehow meant to be an encouragement concerning especially believers, followers of Jesus who have died. And then verse 18, it says explicitly, encourage one another with these words. So this is meant to be an encouragement. So let's be careful. It's great to talk about all kinds of theological schemes on what it will look like, and what the Bible says about uh, when Jesus comes back. It's great to talk about those things, but it can become just kind of a, a almost uh, 
an academic exercise or, or, or a sensational exercise where we, we talk about exciting stories about things that happen, like a fireworks display, right? So it, wow, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and lose sight of the encouragement that is meant to be here. These words are meant to encouragement. Jesus is coming back, therefore be encouraged. Now, when we think of, I won't speak for you, I'll speak for myself, but perhaps often for uh, many people, I think this is the case. When we think of those who have died and gone before us, and we want to be encouraged in our grief, we think, well, you know what, someday we get to go to heaven and be with them. And that's how we tend, that's how I tend, to encourage myself that's when we talk to kids that's how we tend to encourage them we'll go to heaven to be with them someday now the bible says that's true the believers die they go to heaven if we die before the lord returns we go to heaven and there's comfort in that but that's not what this is talking about here it's true that we can be comforted that we'll see our loved ones who are in the lord who have died before us if we die before the Lord returns. But this isn't talking about heaven up there. This is talking about heaven coming down here on earth. So let's be careful when we think about the kingdom of God that we don't just focus our eyes on the skies because God's intention is for the kingdom to come down to earth. Now, there's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And we get a sense that that prayer is meant to be prayed daily because it has something to do with daily bread in there, right? So wouldn't you, wouldn't, wouldn't you pray, pray that daily? But in a line in that, that prayer is, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we talk about the coming kingdom, the Lord's coming, what we're talking about is the intersection of heaven and earth and God's will being done. That is the comfort that Paul, the Spirit through Paul, seeks to give us from this passage. So I'd like to take some time here to look at this idea of the coming of the Lord in some various places in Scripture so that we can then apply it to what we have here in 1 Thessalonians and draw encouragement from it so that we're not just looking at some spectacular end times uh, uh, thought or, or scheme or you know, uh, some, some kind of dramatic movie about weird things that happen just before the end of the world. No, let's think about what it means for uh, God's kingdom to come to earth and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's talk about what the coming of the Lord uh, means. I want to start by looking at 2 Samuel verse uh, chapter 22. And um, there's, there's lots of times throughout scripture where it talks about the Lord coming down. The Lord coming and certain things happen. And here, here's one of them. It's just like, especially in the uh, Old Testament, there's a phrase called the day of the Lord. It's when the Lord comes down. Uh, 
So there's some things that happen when Scripture talks about the Lord coming down. And uh, I, I want to I see uh, what some of those elements are. So notice in 2 Samuel 22, it says, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. That's verse 1. And then there's this long psalm. In fact, the psalm appears again in the book of Psalms, but it, it, it's here in 2 Samuel 22 as well. I'm going to jump down to verse 7, which says this. In my distress, I called to the Lord. So this is David calling to God. When? When he's facing enemies, that it, the, the hand of his enemies are against him. My distress, I called the Lord. Uh, I called out to my God from his temple. He heard my voice, my cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of heaven shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. Mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him and dark rain clouds of the sky. It goes on. Let's stop right there and make some observations. Okay. When scripture talks about God coming, there's some elements here. And the first element I'd like us to consider is that when this language is used about the Lord coming, there is this intersection of heaven and earth and God's will is done. So when God comes down, heaven and earth intersect in his presence and in God's presence, his will is done. The intersection of heaven and earth and God's will is done. In fact, uh, 2 Samuel, that's Old Testament, originally written in Hebrew and in Greek. Um, later in the New Testament, this language of, of coming down. The idea is there's, there, there's an appearance. It's God shows up. God appears. So that's important to recognize. When God appears, heaven and earth, when he appears on earth, heaven and earth intersect. And in his presence, his will is done. So that's element one. There's this other element, we'll call it kind of the setting. All right, there's often the talk about clouds and angels. That, that often shows up when this language of God's appearance, his coming, shows up. We can see it here, and clearly this is, this is figurative language, right? But th this shows up all the time because in David's setting, it, David was in a, a battle, and David won, David and his armies won against all odds, and he attributed that victory to God coming down. But people looking around, they didn't see angels, and maybe they saw clouds. It could be that there were clouds in the sky. But what happened was, uh, in David's mind and, and in spiritual reality, God delivered him. All right? And it's described in these figurative words. So look at verse 10. It says he parted the heavens and came down dark clouds. There's the clouds, were under his feet. Verse 11, he mounted the cherubim. 
All right, so he's writing an angel, figuratively speaking, clouds and angels. Uh, verse 12, darkness, his canopy, and dark rain clouds of the sky. So, so because the idea here was God was coming down in judgment because there were people attacking his people, his will at that moment were for those enemies to be disbanded so that God's people would be safe. His will involved judgment in this moment, and the dark thunderclouds were evocative of that. But the setting, so the setting, clouds and angels. All right? And then the third thing is the human response to God showing up, to God coming, to the appearance of God. In, in, uh, in, in this setting, if we were to look before and after these verses I've read, uh, we see David doing things and we see the enemies doing things. But the idea is when God shows up, his people worship him. And his enemies are terrified. There is a human response when God shows up. His people worship. And his enemies are terrified. And they're vanquished. So what does it look like in this setting, particularly that, that David is worshiping the Lord when he shows up? Well, in his setting, as a warrior, he's fighting. That's what his worship looks like. In fact, later on in the passage, it talks about how God trained his arm for war. He's able to bend the mighty bow of bronze. David is participating in God's will by doing the thing that God has given him to do. That is, be the deliverer of God's people, be the warrior, and eventually the king. Worship takes all kinds of different forms. But it always involves participating in God's will for that moment. That's worth remembering, underlining in our thinking, and taking with us. Whatever we're doing... We can be worshiping the Lord if we are participating in what he desires, his will for that moment. When we're at work, if we're participating in what is good, what provides for our families, what, what creates something that is beneficial to our society, when we're productive, we're worshiping the Lord because we're participating in his will. When we are helping somebody in need, certainly participating in God's will. When we're taking care of our family, when we are, when we are being the people God designed us to be, we are worshiping. So when, when God shows up, heaven and earth intersect, God's will is done. It's often angels and clouds floating around, but, but also very importantly, there is a, 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 um, a human response. Those that are aligned with God's will, they worship. Those who are not are terrified. Let's apply these, uh, these um, observations to a few other passages of Scripture that talk about God coming. This passage in Daniel, chapter 7. I'm just going to read two verses. And the language of these verses... Uh, is so important because it is used uh, repeatedly in the New Testament and the Gospels and the Epistles. Uh, and so even if somebody's not terribly familiar with Daniel 7, they're familiar with many of these words if they're familiar with 
what the New Testament says about Jesus. In Daniel chapter 7, prophet Daniel has this vision. In verse 13, it says this, In my vision at night I looked. There was before me one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples on, of every language worshipped him. His dominions and everlasting dominion will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Throughout the New Testament, this passage is applied to Jesus. In fact, the term son of man is a term that Jesus applied to himself very often. Let's take a look at how this relates to the elements we talked about in 2 Samuel that are surround the um, biblical language of the coming of the Lord. So in this case, it's one like a son of man that is coming. He's showing up, right? So there's this idea of the clouds in heaven. So we talked about the setting. Clouds show up all the time. If we were to read the whole uh, chapter of Daniel 7, in fact, if we were to read the whole book, angels are, are coming and going all the time. So there's angels in the background. So the angels in the clouds, that part is right. All right. But here it is the Son of Man coming, not the, uh, it's the Son of Man showing up, all right? He's coming with the clouds of heaven. But is he coming from heaven down to earth? No, right? Because it says he approached the Ancient of Days. Who's that? That's God the Father. He's in heaven. He's coming to heaven. So we have to be careful when we think about the coming of the Lord, about him coming down from heaven. Uh, heaven it's the idea is uh it means appearance it means showing up the son of man is showing up in heaven and what happens he's given authority so in other words what god the father is able to do when he shows up god shows up and he intersects and heaven and earth intersect and his will is done. What God is able to do when he shows up, he gives the Son of Man authority to do. So the Son of Man, when he shows up, heaven and earth intersect and God's will is done. Then look, there's a human response. What is it? It says, all people... All nations and people in every language worship him. All the elements are there, but it is it's transferred from God the Father to Jesus. That's what this passage is talking about. Let's drive on. Let's read another couple of passages and skip over to the New Testament now and look for these elements when the idea shows up of Jesus, the the. the the coming, the appearance of Jesus. In John 12, start reading in verse 27. This is Jesus just before the crucifixion, uh, in the days leading up to the crucifixion. He's talking to a group of people that uh, are confused about what he has come to do. So verse 27, Jesus says this, My soul's troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. 
I have glorified it, will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it, said it had thunders, thundered. Others said an angel had spoken. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So what is this passage talking about? What is Jesus referring to? Clearly, verse 33 is talking about the crucifixion, right? So crucifixion is when he's lifted up. And just like we saw back in Daniel, the, the coming of the Son of Man, it's... It, it can refer to him going into heaven. It refers uh, in other places to him coming to earth. It, it means he shows up. When the Son of Man shows up, heaven and earth intersect and God's will is done. And so it doesn't talk about uh, uh, him coming here, but in verse 32 it talks about him being lifted up from the earth. It's the same idea when the Son of Man shows up on the cross. Heaven and earth intersect and God's will is done. And look here, even when it's talked about in, in the background, verse 29, the setting, there are thunderclouds and angels, that's what's coming to people's mind. They even have the idea of that setting that appears uh, in Scripture. There, uh, the, uh, but it's God the Father that's speaking. And what is the human response? Well, first of all, in, in verse 31, the enemies are driven away. That's God's will being done. The enemies are driven away. Prince of the world will be driven out. Those that fight against God's kingdom, they will be thwarted. And then in verse 32, I will draw all people to myself. There's a human response of worship. So Jesus on the cross, that was... God showing up. That was a, the, the coming of the Lord. So, verse, uh, excuse me, Matthew 26, same thing. A little bit later in the story. Jesus before the high priest, look for the elements. The high priest said to him, he was arrested, he's about to be charged with blasphemy and crucified. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath. By the living God, Matthew 26, 63. Tell us if you're the Messiah, the Son of God. You've said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. I priest tore his clothes and said, you've spoken blasphemy. Why do we need to hear any more witness? Look. Now you've heard the blasphemy. What's the blasphemy? He's applying to himself what we read in Daniel 7. He's saying he has the authority of God the Father to come and in, cause the intersection of heaven and earth and cause, cause God's will to be done so that uh, the human response is either to flee in terror for those that are contrary to God's will or to, to worship the God who sent Jesus. Now in both John 12, 31 and in Matthew 26, 64, 
we see that the coming of the Lord happened then. John 12, 31, now is the time for judgment. Matthew 26, 64, I say, I say to you, from now on, you'll see the Son of Man. The crucifixion was the coming of the Lord. But that, does that mean what we read in 1 Thessalonians? Uh, that's not the coming of the Lord? No, that's the coming of the Lord as well. You see, theologians talk about this business of God's uh, interaction with his people throughout time as both already and not yet. And so already God has inaugurated his kingdom through Jesus. And by Jesus coming to earth and by causing earth to intersect with heaven and him to show us what God's will is, to love one another, to forgive our enemies, to, uh, to take care of and nurture one another. He's shown us to heal, to, to, uh, to, um, to feed the hungry in Jesus' name because he's shown us he has inaugurated his kingdom, but his kingdom is not uh, fulfilled in its entirety. So Jesus has come and Jesus will come and someday he will cause his kingdom to fill the entire earth. So all of creation reflects what God desires to be done. And it's our job as those who are witnessing his, him showing up, his appearance, his coming, the coming of Jesus, the coming of the kingdom. It's our job to decide whether or not we want to participate in that kingdom. So I'll close with this. After Jesus died on the cross, rose again, gathered his disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he said this. Jesus came to them, his disciples said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Where do we see that? We saw that in Daniel. That's when the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days and all authority has been given to him. That's the coming of the Son of Man. Well, it's happened. All authority has been given to Jesus, he said, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What is the, what is the human response to the coming of the Lord? People can uh, worship or they can flee in terror. Well, he's telling his disciples to be agents of the coming of the Lord and cause people to, to see the gospel, to hear the gospel, and, and to worship all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age when we as God's people participate in God's kingdom work Jesus is showing up in our midst all the time. And then shortly after Acts chapter 1, after Jesus gave this great commission, he said these words just before he went back to the Father. He said this, Acts 1.6, They were gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time? going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
he said to him, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up at the sky at what he was doing. And suddenly two men dressed in white, I wonder who they were. Sounds like they were angels, stood beside them. Said these amazing words. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Well, think about that for a second. Jesus just floated up into heaven. What are you going to do? Say, okay, who's next? Anybody going to talk? What's the next? Of course they're looking in the sky. And and the angels say, "Why, why are you looking at the sky? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And the idea is... He could come back at any time. So get to work. Don't just be looking at the sky. Don't just be looking at, to, at heaven. Look to the earth and do God's will here on earth. Because he's going to come back. And don't you want him to find you doing his will? He's going to come back. And there's going to be clouds. And there's going to be angels. And we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, there's even a trumpet. And archangels yelling. or so, what, what, There's going to be all the stuff that we're to expect around the appearance of the Lord. He's coming back and he's going to bring all those that have gone, uh, died before us in the Lord. They're all coming back and they're, they're, they're going to uh, take, take all of us and they're going to restore the, the spirits of those who have died with their bodies that are buried in the ground. And all, it's, all that's going to happen, angels and clouds and 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 new bodies and people we haven't seen and and it, he's going to come back and and heaven and earth are going to intersect and God's will is going to be done and it's going to impact all of creation all of the earth we'll have a choice to make we'll have a human response do we worship or do we flee in terror it all has to do with are we doing God's will when he comes that's the encouragement. If we do God's will, if we align ourselves with Jesus who bridges heaven and earth, if we do the things that he tells us to do to one another, we share his good news through our words and our actions. If we do that around us, we don't need to be looking at the sky and trying to figure out charts about this, that, and Oh, isn't that interesting? He might come. Oh, my goodness, something happened in the news. Maybe that's the Lord's coming. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Look at this in Revelation. That could be a helicopter. All the silliness. All right? Don't be looking at that. We need to look around and do God's will. Because right now, Jesus said, he'll be with us if we follow the Great Commission and do his will. So right now, Jesus is coming. In our pre- He's showing up when we do his will. Let's be encouraged by those words. Let's pray together. So God, we're grateful that you show yourself to us through your word, but not only do we learn by reading 
words from the page, but we experience the reality of it through your spirit in our presence as we do your will. So God, encourage us to do your will. And as we think of the appearance of God through the picture of Jesus on the cross and the intersection of heaven and earth and God's will being done, help us to remember your love to us through your son Jesus. And so we go to your table now to do that. Help us to taste what we can't fully wrap our minds around. Help us to internalize what we can't fully rationalize. Help us to see before us the coming of the Son of Man as he died on the cross to save us from our sins. We ask your blessing now on our time around your table, we pray in Jesus' name.